Hi guys, this is Jack Grimmer and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Right, well, there we were planning a pod, discussing titles for our two lefts make a wrong performance as we gifted Spurs two goals last night on a Monday evening. A bassy baptism of fire for sure for old Calvin, and of course we're here to talk about it, but then we get the joyous news that Marcus Silva has extended his contract until 2026, so I'll try and save my criticism I had in store for him in terms of not adapting a system for current subpar target men in our squad, and instead look to my two lovely co-hosts in Don Love and Matt as we breathe a sigh of relief as we are keeping hold of our much beloved gaffer for a bit longer but we won't go overboard as as knowing ourselves as Fulham fans we don't want to jinx anything and start a 10 game winless run lots to discuss as we fly the Marcus Silva flag full mast I'm J-Mac and this is your Fulham Focus Podcast Fulham Hope you enjoyed my little rhyme there. I was I was quite proud of that. Anyway, so um, the the news obviously of Marcus Silva, joyous to behold. I'll go straight to you first, uh, Mr. Baldwin. Uh, what are your instant reactions of this? Because I didn't really see it coming, particularly after a loss such as last night. Yeah, exactly. I think the timing of it has probably been the 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 biggest thing for all of this. You know, if it is just to you know silence the masses, or because this certainly hasn't been the best start of the season, even if you go back to the summer. So there's a little bit of disgruntlement, especially again, even after the you know the past couple of weeks have been dominated by the um, ticket prices for games. So maybe this was just a way of saying you know the loss and all that stuff. Maybe maybe it was planned. I don't know, but the timing of it I think could not be better because again, you just see on Twitter today um, a whole lot more. You know, a lot of Fulham fans basically say, "Oh, that's a great way to cover up." You know, they're walking with a spring in their step. It's almost as if last night didn't happen. So uh, whether or not it was planned. I don't know, but it certainly worked out incredibly great timing um, for a lot of fans. Yeah, and there were already some questions, like you say, on Twitter from some fans saying, you know, are, are the players a bit uninspired due to the fact that Marcus Silva hasn't signed a contract? I think we can lay those to rest now. Uh, Don, your thoughts on this news, mate? And, and, and it begs the question, why now and why not in the summer, doesn't it? You know, that is a big question because, uh, I mean, just think of the possibilities. If he had signed in the summer... Perhaps some of these other players that he was after or that he was trying to, you know, convince to come to Fulham would have been more convinced. Oh, yeah, you're staying for the long term. I could see a long term project here. I could, I could see myself fitting in. So, you know, it's hindsight's twenty twenty. You never know what could have happened. We could speculate all we want. Fantastic news came out of the complete blue to me. You know, was not expecting this. I was expecting. I'm not going to lie. Wigo is our forever optimist, it seems like, in the uh, group chat, the, the, the sacred, all-knowing football god chat that yeah. we have. You know, uh, He is definitely the uh, forever full, uh, optimist, whereas you know, J-Mac is kind of the uh, pessimist. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I just worry, you know that. <laughs> you know, but so I, I was, I'm kind of with J-Mac. On, 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 I was like, oh, Marco's not going to sign a contract. This is not going to go well for the season. He's going to probably not even stick around for the full season. This is going to go to shit real bad. And then yeah. where do we go next year? So this is kind of like a nice golden light at the end of the tunnel that maybe something could be coming in January. You know, Maybe we could see some actual money being spent and us not having such a dark and gloomy season that I was kind of feeling we were going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. Hole I mean... 
Wiggo's going to be thrilled that we've mentioned him again in a pod that he's not actually contributing to. He he loves he loves <laughs> he loves wrecking those up and reminding us how we're obsessed with him. But I'll I'll, I'll go to you with this, Bordo, because Dodd made a good point now, and you made a good point to begin with that uh, with Marcus Silva, it was kind of like a catch twenty two really of the situation with signings because there were people saying, you know, we haven't made enough signings, and that's all of the Khan's fault, but. The Khans are kind of, it's kind of a catch-22 because the Khans can't make all the signings because Marco won't commit to a long-term future with us. And now that's happened, as Don was alluding to, do you think that now means that there is going to be a bit of a war chest going on in January, especially around a time when we're really struggling with uh, a centre-forward? I think I think you would hope again if you want to put it all on, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty because whether, you know, whether or not Marco Silva's I'm going to say how much that played into because there was reported that's how basically it worked out with um, with Mitrovic was you know part of the reason he wanted to go was because Silva was going to go as well so um, there's a whole load of facets that you can that you can put into it but yeah if there is now that stability where you no know, clubs will say oh look we this manager is going to be is going to be with them I like this manager or I like the style of play if if we got it again if we'd have gone into January without him being signed then most people said well six months. You know how long am I? How long am I going to be working with this manager? Whereas now they know they've got six months and maybe maybe even beyond. So again, what sort of business we can expect in January? I I don't know. I think mm. I'm still I'm still of the belief that this is a a, a wash off season. You know, as long as we finish seventeenth after what basically after what happened in the summer, this was you know just wiped the whole slate clean. Um, you know, we should have pushed on, but we can't um, for for the obvious reasons. But if we are going to spend in January, that's great. I don't think we're going to be. I don't think it's going to be a huge war chest. I think it's going to be saved towards the summer. But if we do decide to spend, then yeah, as you said, the uh, continuity and everything that this will bring, you know, could op- could open should open up uh, the possibilities. Even if it even if it isn't a big war chest, just that one thing might be able to convince one or two signings to say, right, yeah, I will, yeah, I will come to Fulham. And you know that that. You- talking about the war chest and how much money could be spent. That is the one weird thing I've always thought about Tony Khan. I've never been one to bash him, you know, uh, on any of the sports he does. But there is kind of this uncertainty with him all the time. And Baldwin will know better than me with him knowing all the American football. But it's like his American football team, Fulham, they they get highs and lows. You know, they, they seem to do real well. And then... It's like the spigots turned off or something, mm-hmm. and they just change everything. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, something happens. So for the Jaguars, they got that number one draft pick and got that long-haired dude from Clemson mm-hmm. as a quarterback. You know, we turn around, got Marco Silva, but now we don't spend money for him. So I just, I don't think anybody really can predict where. Tony Khan is going to go with the, the January window. You know, he could go crazy and say, you bet, Marco, here's the open chest. Get what you need for a striker. Get what you need for a right center back. Or he could just say, sorry, we're, we're very tight mm-hmm. on money. Here's the people that I think you can have. And Marco's going to have to, okay, I, I'll settle for yeah. whatever. Yeah, of course. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it, it's it's good also because it continues the vision of this sort of Portuguese, sort of speaking, Brazilian vibe that we've got going on with the Samba Fulham. And I, I, we were kind of worried at once. With an occasional American in with there. With an occasional American in there as well. And I, I think we'll probably sign, you know, there'll, there'll still be Americans <laughs> ongoing throughout the whole of our time at Fulham in terms of signings. No doubt about it. Although I can't foresee one right now. I just could not 
pick one. We've got a Canadian. We've got a Canadian with Defogel Royce. That that is actually true. North America. And I'll tell you what. We need to talk about him later. Let's talk about him later on, like, how the games went and things like that. We'll bring up our my okay, favorite. Okay, no problem. Up. But I feel like um, in terms of, like, you know, keeping on the tradition of Samba Fulham, I feel like that, that that's now... We, we've been talking about some doubts of Marcus Silva, you know, actually signing an extension, him maybe leaving at the end of the summer, or or potentially even being sacked before then if, if we went on some awful run of form. But now it's nice to know that he's still here and we still continue the recruitment, the vibe that we're creating because, you know, we talked about Graham Potter or or, or all these sort of other managers that could come in and you just don't want to start refreshing everything and getting rid of all the things that make us so good and fun to watch still. And we'll come on to obviously some Brazilian players like Willian that actually played kind of well. I have mixed feelings about it, but we'll get more specific as we talk about Spurs. Um, Is there anything else we want to add in terms of Marcus Silva here, lads? I'm just trying to think of anything else that's good about this other than the obvious. I mean, it's just, um, it's just, it just makes us feel all quite relieved, doesn't it? The the only two things for me is I would be really curious to see how much we've offered him. Oh yeah? You know, to... Just to kind of keep the dogs at bay, you know, that that are circling around and sniffing for a manager to take over yeah. at their other clubs, uh, which also the, then the other part of that, the other thing that I wonder about is, uh, God bless, I hope they put in a big ass buyout clause, yeah. you know, that it's not some small diddly, you can leave on one million, whatever, if somebody wants, wants sure. to type thing or, you know, you know, so those are the only two things I, I'd be curious, uh, but I haven't seen any news saying that that's a genuinely today. good point I, I genuinely didn't think about that yeah if the you know if the saudi league is still a thing you know I, i'd say the saudi league just because they were the ones that were um that were after him in the summer but you could make it about any point but yeah if there is someone that wants to come after him at least make it you know a big f off sort of amount to say if you're gonna you know if you're gonna take away the manager that has you know, done so well for us built a very good foundation then yeah we're we're not gonna we're not gonna be pushed away by you know you, you give a million, I'm pretty sure it won't be that low, but yeah, we're not going to be uh, bullied away by a small fee. You know, you are going to give us, you know, 10 million. So I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a high or a low fee for a manager, but yeah, it should be something. Yeah, that's a very good point there, Don. I mean, as promised from my introduction, I said we wouldn't go overboard with our praise of this because we could jinx it and suddenly he could be sacked by the end of December or something awful. So I don't want to go too, too into those realms and start, you know, making things, you know what I'm like, paranoid. But do, do you think, I'm just trying to think now in terms of previous managers. How does Marco rank now in terms of how long he's been with us compared to others? I'm literally generally asking this. This isn't actually a question on the schedule. I'm just now thinking in terms of, the, you look at the contract, how long he's been with us. This is quite now like, quite impressive amount of time for a manager to stay with us for this. Would you say? I mean, like you kind of came up to like the three-year cycle just now. And usually that's when the sort of like a traditional point ends. But to get an extension at this time seems quite quite impressive for a club like Fulham really well when it's well it's two seasons and a bit so two seasons and a full month so he's okay a full year, so he's a full year short of your cannabis this is off the top of my head I'm sure because he was came midway through 1516 so actually if it's midway through he's probably round about maybe one or two months away from uh, Jakanovic in terms of um, in terms of the timing there. Okay, so we're not um, there yet. Fine. We're, fine yeah, fine. we're not there yet. Um, yeah, and then obviously Martin Yol was two when a bit years mark hughes was a year hodgson was however long i'm just going to do kit simmons was temporary parker was uh just about 
two seasons again because it sort of went in. But so he's one of the, again. This is all off the top of my head, so I don't want anyone to come back with me with incorrect figures. Oh, but it's yeah, only us. Don't worry. <laughs> I was going to say, well, if okay, if he gets to the end of the season, then yeah, he would have completed the three years, which is something that is very rare for managers, at least very much at least under the cards. So, here's my two thought uh, or my thought on this, real quick. Number one, you, I don't care where we finish as long as we finish 17th or higher this year. It's got to be just kind of written off. And the reason I say kind of written off is because of uh, I couldn't put it on Marco per se as, you know, we didn't really have an awesome summer bringing in all these incredible players kind of thing. So we didn't really build. And I think a lot of people would agree with me on this. We didn't really build on the success of last season. So with that being said, if I was the board, you know, and I'm kind of looking at how things are going. We just signed him. This is going to be great. You know, we let this kind of roll this season. And then next season, give him like you did for Parker and Marco and, or, or, uh, you know, um, the other managers and, and spend some money. Let him have kind of the players he wants. Then let's see what we do for next season. Based on that, that's when I would be looking at, okay, is this the guy to stick around or not? Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, I, I wouldn't look at it as a question of, okay, now that he's signed, we're going to sack you based on where, how you performed this year. As long as we stay up, that's the whole objective to me yeah. for this I, season. I, Anything above 17th, you know, mid-table, that's just... Well, you I say that, you know, this is kind of like a bit of a write-off season for us. And I think now there's a now good opportunity to move on to the Spurs game that we watched last night on Monday evening. And the the, the reason I mentioned is a good intro into it, because I, I did watch the game. And it's going to be one of these things where you, you realise that actually, as as gifting as our, their goals were on behalf of Calvin Bassey, which we'll get to, I just want to talk about the general vibe of it, Baldo. We just look like a team that are going to probably beat enough teams below us, but not actually do that well against the higher the higher dogs. It just it looks like one of those seasons where we're going to just be... And, and you know what? I'm all for it, but it looks like a kind of a team that's going to finish maybe around 12th to 15th, maybe. Yeah, and as I said, 12th to 15th is pretty much fair because of, again, how happened, bad... Yeah. Yeah, because of how bad the summer was. So again, I'm fine with that. I wish it wasn't the case, but again, if Mitrovic stays, then our ambitions would be behind all that stuff. So yeah. So but but on the subject of the game itself, yeah, if we can beat up on the Lutons, the Sheffield Uniteds, the Nottingham Forest, again and again, look competitive against the bigger sides. Again, two Calvin Bassey mistakes. If you know, I'm not saying the game always ends up nil nil because I think Spurs were were by far the better team. But again, that shows that at least we can be competitive. And all there was was you know, was two errors on our part. So, mm. like you no, know, like the reverse fixture. Uh, the reverse fixture. I mean, we did beat them. I mean, it was it was a somewhat weaker team, but we beat them earlier in the season in the League Cup. So, yeah. Whilst we say it's a wash off season, at least we can use these games to sort of say right. Okay, well, no, where is where is our standing? And if we can make the replacements of, you know, Bassi, once either he gets better or you buy another centre back with someone new up front, then maybe we sneak a win there, and maybe that means we could sneak a win against an Aston Villa, say, or get a draw against an Aston Villa when you might think we'd be able to lose, sort of thing. So yeah, but so in terms of the actual game itself, I'm not. Whilst it was in some levels maybe a free hit in some people's eyes, I think there were a lot of encouraging signs there to think we can at least be competitive when yeah. uh, when we need when we need to be. 
I don't think we played badly at all, other than the errors, really. I mean, obviously, we will come on to actually how we're a bit toothless up front and the, our attacking input. But, Don, like, we looked at the lineup and we saw the Bassi at right centre back, and like all of us predicted, that it was going to be him and Reem, two left footers and stuff. It's quite funny because I was incredibly, incredibly unfair and critical of Kevin and Babu at the same stadium when he was moved to left back for that game, and he was absolutely atrocious. And I was really unsympathetic to how badly he played. But in, there's something about Calvin Bassi's case. I don't know if it's because he's played as a left centre back for us already, and we know what he can do for us. But I actually felt quite sorry for him in this game, despite actually causing all the upset for us. I don't know what your thoughts are on Bassi and just generally, because I feel like actually, I think Twitter's kind of torn between people defending him and, and people just saying he cost us the game, like, you know, never never play him in that position again, which I obviously don't think he will as long as Diop comes back to fitness, etc. So, I again, our awesome, uh, you know, group me, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, what WhatsApp chat that we have, you know, with all these uh, football gods, it was Luke who I think summed it up really well. Sorry, it was not Wiggo this time. Um, Luke, you know, was the one that said, it's funny how you put two left guys playing center backs together and everybody's, oh my God, that'll never work. But they never say anything about two right backs playing center yeah. backs together type thing. So I, I, I agree. You know, we, we, we've done this a couple of times throughout the time I've been following Fulham where we ended up putting a right back and a left back's uh, you know, center back position, and it went to shit in a handbag. Um, so I, I'm not too hard on the guy because it's it's he's playing out of position on a side that he's not mm-hmm. used to type thing. Um, you know, so yeah, it, it, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, you would think he's enough of a professional that he should be able to handle that a little better Maybe. than I thought he did. You know what I mean? He he just looked uncomfortable from the get go. And he just looked like he was uh, Yeah, and that uncertainty, as soon as that was revealed to the Tottenham players, or maybe it was already planned by Ange Postacoglu in the, in the pre-match, but uh, it seemed like Tottenham were very much looking to press his buttons and, and, and really try and force those errors, knowing that he wasn't comfortable with his right foot. And, you know, I, I, I think both goals were to do with, you know, shoddy part. I mean, <laughs> Baldo, I mean, like, it, it, there were some real comical moments, unfortunately. Him running into Ream for that goal uh, was quite 18 or 19 style of defending, wasn't it? I just Your general thoughts on the Bassi situation and just, you know, the, the, the errors we, we, we made to give them the two goals. I mean, the errors are pretty self-explanatory. What I would also say is that he hasn't had that consistent run in right. the team like if we want him to be like i assume when we bought him i think many people assumed that he was going to be he was going to be replacing tim ream as the left-sided center back as tim ream gets old and we sort of gradually progress him down but if you're i just literally just pulled up the uh, transfer mark stats so in the league this year 23 minutes against um against the bus against the bus stop 83 against arsenal which he got sent off a minute against luton 19 against sheffield united and then he played 83 minutes in the cup, and there's been a couple of men, uh, games where he's been on the bench, so he hasn't really had that consistent level. Like for all we know, if we play him with Tim Ream, you know, if he's a right side centre back, he might be able to work this out. Because I know, like as Don said, you don't have this issue when there's two right-footed centre backs. Like Hangland and Hughes were both right-footed. I know Braden liked to use his left, but he was predominantly right-footed, so it can work. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to. I don't want to start saying Calvin Bassey. Let's again, like Babu style, let's throw him away because he's not working. This might work 
you just need to give it you just need to give it time to grow and again if we're in the situation where we're happy being 17th then by all means play him next to Tim Ream all season and let them get used to, and let him get used to playing on the right hand side so it so it I'm not giving up on him and I think it can I think it can work just give just give him a little bit of time you know the the whole thing for me right now on the right center back issue is again the summer window I would assume Tony and the and the board and everybody looked at the lineups at the the amount of players and said, "Oh, we're covered with with the right center back mm-hmm. because Tolson." But where the f is he? Everybody's saying he's been injured, but he's been injured now for what the whole yeah. season? You know, I, it, it begs to differ. And this is what you know if you read on all the social media, a lot of people are with me. It begs to differ. He's not playing because he doesn't want to play. He wants yeah. out. So oh, I've got a. I've got a torn little whatever, or I, I've tweaked a little whatever. I well, can't to play, add to know. add to the tinfoil, ha- uh, you know, theory there is that he's removed Fulham from all his bios on his social media outlets. And I know it, it sounds really tedious to talk about social media outlets and what that all links to or what it could mean, but it, I, I agree. It does. It does feel like Tosin might be potentially refusing to play, um, and it's just. So if that's the case, then. This is what I was going to fucking annoy. <laughs> anyway, <that's> it. <laughs> it's yeah. fucking annoying. But then you got to start looking down the line at the at the bench and everything. And okay, so if we can't get Diop back soon enough, and you know this is our other option, who's our backup? Who what what are our options? Well, if you notice on the bench was our my new favorite yeah. Canuck. I don't even know how he's pronounced his last name. Della Fusrol. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, everyone likes to call him Fig Rolls, which is probably. I'm just going to refer to him as my new favorite Canuck. Um, you know, uh, from Montana, that's how we refer to our Canadian friends. Uh, if if you really are fond of them, they're 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 Canucks. He played great, I thought, in the American uh, warm-up games. You know, the little summer tournament and everything. He looked really strong. And if he's sitting on the bench, I don't know. You know, what do you call that when you got to start uh, bleeding him into war, or whatever? Maybe he needs blood mm-hmm. in. You know, start playing him a little bit here and there. See what he can do. He was very good in that. You know that Maybe preseason game. I mean, obviously uh, against Brentford and and um, just general in the preseason in America. I mean, he he's still very young, and that's my only concern. But he the other young. thing was, I mean, it's interesting. Polino's role seems to be. I mean, I, he made some fantastic tackles, and he's been brilliant still, uh, no doubt about it. But I, I was I was thinking when looking at the line, well, before the lineup, whether or not Marcus Silva might put Palina there instead, like he did as centre-back for one of the games. And he actually played quite well there, but that didn't happen because obviously we need someone of uh, Palina's ilk, sort of, especially when you're playing someone like Spurs at the moment. I, I don't like that idea just because I like him sure. being the enforcer. I like him playing that holding midfielder that takes all the pressure off of like Reem and different ones, especially, no, I'm not putting Reem down, I love Reem, but at his age and everything, you know, he, he's probably lost a step or two. We would all agree. You want that strong enforcer in front of him. And I think it helps Reem with controlling yeah. the back, you know, and, and telling people where to go. It, it, it frees up his mind on saying, I've got somebody strong in front of me. I can concentrate on all of this for other sure. stuff. So for me, I don't want to see him lead that position. The other thing I did like, though, that... I would bring up was his midfield pairing. Yeah, Lukic is great. He just rocked it. I thought I felt bad that Reed was Reed was dropped, but I thought he really looked good in that game. And I could see those two 
kind of playing the holding so that's that's together. i'm glad you brought that because i was going to bring me on to my next point so i i thought lukic was very good this game as well i thought his performance against arsenal with Polina showed that actually especially a game like we had against spurs was the right pairing for sure and we, we talked about you know we talked about bassi i thought leno had a good game um despite obviously the continuing the two goals i thought actually they, i think um Spurs were shooting quite lackluster at him towards the beginning of the game, actually probably getting up his save stats up quite a bit. So that was good for him. I thought Castagna had a good game. I thought Robinson looked good. But yeah, the midfield pairing of Lukic and Polina, I liked a lot. But in front of them, Baldo, I'm not really... I'm having this... I know he did a lovely assist in the last game, but Pereira for me is just a really, really invisible man at the moment. And I just want to know your thoughts on him. Yeah, it's it's just not it's just not it's just not the same. I think you know there was there was a there's been just been a level of you know, like like partnerships that have built up over the years. You know, Mitrovic and Carvalho worked brilliantly together. Mitrovic and Pereira last year worked brilliantly together. Maybe it's just Pereira just needs someone you know that he can rely on or someone that gives him confidence up front. And you know, you look at what we have now: Vinicius and uh, Jimenez. Neither of them are really confident. You know, if there was someone that you know Pereira could you know. As you say, lay the lay the ball off to and give, however many assists he gave to Mitrovic last year or whatever. You know to say, okay, I am good. I I get the the stat the stats back it up. Then maybe then maybe it would be different. So I think whilst Pereira has no has not been great, I think part of it is because of the team that is you know the team that is around him, um, not giving him or not being as good as you no, know, no not as good as last year when everyone was saying oh he's brilliant because we could see oh yeah. He, of course he's good because he's getting you know five assists in the space of a month because yeah. you're giving it to Mitrovic and Harry Wilson's on fire and Williams getting gold and stuff. It's weird because I thought we set up really well at the start of the game. Obviously we were we they were all over us, but I thought that you know the, the sort of the four four one one that we were doing, but high pressing off the ball with Pereira and Vinicius, who obviously was in the the sort of Mitrovic role as like the presses was sort of working. But it, and we almost you know forced a bit of an error from the goalkeeper, their goalkeeper Vicario at one point. But yeah, Don just Pereira for me just isn't the same without Mitrovic because Mitrovic obviously did a lot of hold-up play and sort of playmaking himself. And he just needs someone up there that's better than probably Vinicius or Jimenez at this rate. Or or we need to, to start a Wobi more. Well, now you went two different directions. I, d- I tend so to do that, let's sorry. Let's go back to the... F- but that's good. That's that's really good what you've said on both sides. So on the one side, I, I agree. Um, I don't know what it is about... Pereira this this year he's definitely not the same guy as last year and maybe that's because he doesn't have that strong Mitrovic player in front of him that allows him more creativity you know uh, or knows how to hook up better connect with him better on different things so we're definitely lacking in that um, uh, I, I don't know this is not a popular opinion I don't know what else I could say other than I think he's got to go to the bench me personally, I think he should be dropped to the bench. And I personally, I know this is very unpopular. I really liked Tom being kind of in that position. And I, this is where I also think I will be, would be that guy. He, 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 he potentially be, could be the number 10 and I probably would start him for the next game. But I liked the way Tom was connecting with, um, William out on the, on the, out on the side there. They seem to have a good chemistry going that, really produces some of the better moments when, when Tom's on the field. So I know everybody's like, no, Tom needs to come on later in the game, blah, blah, blah. But 
we were much more creative when those guys were on the field, I thought, than in the first half with, with prayer and stuff. So I kind of think that needs to change. Um, going the opposite direction, not completely the opposite direction, but again, if you dropped Pereira and you put Awobi in the number 10 position, okay, we still seem to have a problem with that top, yeah. no matter who's up there. I don't care which of our three strikers is up there. The link-up play and the finishing attempts just isn't happening. So do you, do you I hate to say this, do you try Harry up there? He seemed to do a good Wells, job yeah, for Wells, you know, over the, you know, do, do you try Harry up there instead and, you know, try, try something different? Uh, or do we just put Bobby up there like we've done in the past? Cause I'm just, I know everybody was like, Vinicius did a great job. He, he looked really good. He did okay for me. He did no better than uh, any of our other striking yeah. options, though. I, I didn't really see anything that said, Premier League striker, I, I'm going to help, uh, you know, figure out where all the goals are going to come from that you guys need That's for right. this season. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like Awobi w- w- was okay when he came on. It's just that he's got the f- lots of energy, but like sometimes a bit of composure. It's, uh, he seems to have like a bit of his first touch sometimes like a pogo stick. It just it just bounces around him a little bit. So, I mean, I, I think there is there's stuff to I think. I'm hoping that that's just because he hasn't consistent play. Yeah, you know I think I mean? so. I mean, we talked about... That if maybe he got some consistent yeah. play... I mean, we talked about Lukic and Polinia being what we like is maybe as the starting two. I would like to maybe try a, a starting game soon where it's just a Wobi as the 10, Polinia and Lukic behind him. I, I think that would be interesting. Maybe against Brighton, who knows? Well... Let's let let Baldo jump in here and help defend me with putting Harry up um, top. When right? you say well, we need to talk about Harry Wilson because he missed that absolute <laughs> at the end of the game. That was just an absolute nightmare. He did. He did. Yeah. When you say up top, he are you did. talking about like number nine centre forward, or are you talking about in the number ten role? Because I know I I, I sort of joked number like 10. put him up top after he after he scored a header. No, no, no. But I I, I genuinely think that could be that could be a way to go. Like Bobby Reed has probably been arguably our best forward. You know, winger, winger, number ten, centre forward, whatever forward this year has probably been has probably been Bobby Reed, and now I gen- I generally think I've been saying this for, I've been saying this for quite a while. Put Harry Wilson in the number ten role. He is a very very creative player. He's got an eye for a pass. Didn't show it last night, but everyone is allowed a everyone's allowed an exception. But he can but he can thread a pass. If you've got someone with you know Bobby Reed again, a little bit a little bit nippy up front. I think that might be that might be the way to go. Get your you know, get your Triori on one wing, William on the other. Wilson in the ten and Bobby Reed up front. I think yeah. that, that I think that might be a way to go because whatever is working up top now is I'm not going to say it's not working, but it's not working as well as it perhaps could be. So I think it does need a bit of a shake up. I'll tell you what we need, uh, or what what I think would would really help Fulham, and this is where Harry Wilson probably could be that number ten guy that could create those chances. What we're not getting, and I've said this before, is we're not getting the people just either outside the box or near the box taking that chance and taking a shot on goal that maybe the goalkeeper spills and creates another chance, which is where Vinny then comes in, cleans it up, and gets these you know goals uh, into the, the, the box, okay, or, or produces a goal for us. Most of the goals I've seen Vinny and the different ones score have come from somebody took a shot, it got fluffed, it got blocked, but it fell to the right person and they were there to clean it up. We're not really seeing this year a lot of those oh my god goals, like although Tom just did one, didn't he? Um he didn't he just get a really great goal? 
Oh, it was the accident, the accident, the accident. Yeah, the, it went off, it went off two feet. Yeah. yeah. See, we're not getting a lot of those anymore. We're not getting those guys who are creating those. Oh my God shots. So we need more just shots on the ball on goal creating the opportunities for somebody to come in and yeah, clean up. I, I completely I completely hear what you're saying. I, I think it's funny because you talk about Tom Kenny and the goals he's brought. I just want to go back to your point you were making there, Don, with like, you know, Tom Kenny, maybe he could be in the tent. I mean, someone that seemed to do quite well with the combination with Tom Kenny was Willian. I thought Willian had one of his probably probably his best game for us in a way actually I know he didn't score but he looked like our liveliest player but there was just something very frustrating about William because he was so good going forward and then at the last hurdle every last move he would make an attack it would be the wrong decision it would be a bad pass or he'd go too far he'd cross the byline there was and I think it was because of how good he looked up until that point it was always like this kind of this false hope every time of him carrying the ball forward and, and that was a shame but it wasn't just him and that was the problem with the Spurs game and it's not just a problem with the Spurs game it's been a problem I think this whole season the wayward passes well yeah you know we're just not we're just not connecting our passes like we had like last season and stuff we rarely see anymore that especially out of the back which is something we've got to talk to talk about out of playing out okay of the well let's, right let's talk about it right now um, because you're going well so what I'm saying with the wayward passing and we're trying to play it out of the back especially when you've got two right footers you know, or two left footers playing in the center back position. And one of them's not very confident with playing it out of the back. We need to change it up a little more. This is where, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the long pass from Leno every yeah. freaking time, but I think he needs to start playing it a little bit more long ball just to help relieve some of that pressure when we're really getting up against it. And the same thing can be said for any of this, uh, the, our back line when they're up against the pressure, Rather than try and make that iffy pass that is going to get picked off and ends up coming back at Leno, Absolutely. just get it out of there. I mean, when you've got Kulisevsky, James Madison, and Son and Richarlison all running at you, uh, I think we we gave them a bit too much respect with our tactics of passing up from the back. I remember so vividly when we that that brilliant game, the two two draw with Liverpool at the start of the last season, where it was just perfectly balanced. Where we would do a little bit of like from the back passing, but we weren't afraid to just love it as well. And I feel like we needed much more of that, particularly with Bassi playing as the right centre back. Yeah, we we need to be more careful with, with, with I think playing away from home in that stadium with those fans and and that team. Uh, that was probably just a bit too naive, um, and, and we we shouldn't have done it. But uh... and I, I just want to be clear, clarify. I understand the modern game, and that's what all the managers want to see is that control out of the back. But it, when it's just not happening, and it's putting the gun back back in our face, it's time to you know change up the tactics a little bit. So that's the only thing I would like to have seen different tactically. So as so yeah, exactly. So game. I mean, as we about to take a quick break and move on to a Brighton preview, what we can say, what can we say from this boulder? We can say that uh, Calvin Bassey, uh, well, he might have to start. We don't know what the injury situation is, but Calvin, like we've learned that we shouldn't pass back for the back too much. Uh, Pereira needs to be replaced by Iwobi potentially, and just yeah, less passing from the back and better uh, ideas creative wise in attack, right? <laughs> I mean, not necessarily less passing from the back. Just again, as I said earlier, this might just be a thing of I mean, we can work from the back. Just give it time for him to get used to you know being comfortable on his on his right foot or you know working in with 
um, different teammates, you know, rather than forcing him onto the right, onto his right foot, you know, change style of play so he can usually pass with them. I'm sure there, I'm sure there are tweaks. And as I said, I'm not giving up on Bassi just yet. Yeah. No, no, but all I'm, all again, so all I'm trying to say is just change yeah, it up more, mix it up, especially because we're playing two left-footed uh, center backs right now. Change it up a little bit more. That way, the pressure isn't constantly. There. Yeah, I, I mean, we we found out well from Marco Silva's uh, presser just before the game. I think he said Diop wasn't a long-term injury, but it doesn't sound like he'll be back in time for Brighton. Uh, so it does feel like this centre-back pairing we have, what we saw last night, will will probably be the same one that we have in uh, East Sussex uh, this weekend. Um, all right, lads, we'll take a quick break and we'll talk about that trip to Brighton and see what we can maybe work on or tweak and uh, expect. See you in a second. <laughs> Fulham. Right, so Brighton, this weekend, we just obviously alluded to what we think the lineup might be. I think we pretty much guarantee that it'll be Ream and Bassi as the starting centre-backs. And I don't know, it'd be nice to see Kenny Tati back for this. Um, I think we miss him quite a lot, actually. I, I've actually been very impressed with Castagna. Very, very impressed. I will say, in fact, in the Spurs game, I thought we had more... I was I felt like something was going to happen more on our right hand side from him than it, our actual right winger, um, so I think he's been great. But I mean, but maybe we do miss a bit of Kenny Tete, so that'd be good. We'll have Robinson, we'll have Leno. I'd keep Lukic and Polina together, and yeah, I just think we can maybe. I mean, just I'm sort of going on a tangent here. We all know what we want the lineups to be. Maybe we've talked about you know Pereira. Maybe it's time for him to be benched, get a Wobi on, etc. But Don, anything from this game that that, that stands out? To you? I mean, their results of late haven't been. They've been beaten three one by Manchester United and then two two with Liverpool. Then they were beaten just now by Manchester City two one, um, and now they've just been completely. Hold on, they've been just the most recent game. Were they just smashed by Aston Villa, or do I need to repeat this? Yeah, they were. They okay. were. They they they've got a mixed results this this season. You know they they. Correct me if I'm wrong. I wrote it down somewhere. They tied. No, Liverpool. They, sorry, they haven't just smashed. Yeah, they, they just missed. They've just it's Manchester they, City. They tied Liverpool. They got uh they they beat Manchester United yeah. three to one. They two to one to City. So I mean that that's not a terrible you know end of a score line if you're playing against Man uh, Manchester uh, City. Um, to lose two to one, but then they got smashed. I mean, smashed by Villa. Uh, six, what was it? Villa six, seemed uh, to be smashing everyone. At the moment. I'm really dreading booking my ticket for that. I do. <laughs> for, for I think it, I'm pretty sure uh, Villa got six goals in that game uh, without looking it up real quick. So my point is, they're kind of all over the place, you know, as far as how they're doing. Obviously, better than us uh, with their record. Well, what's really weird about Brian? They're, they're, they're a team that I think we could beat, or, or we could well, at least. Tie, well, the thing is, know? like, so before this weekend's fixtures of uh, the weekend just gone of Premier League, I think they were technically the and you wouldn't believe this because of um, Newcastle and the amount they've been scoring in single games, like the eight nil, etc. But I think Brighton were the highest scoring team in the Premier League before this weekend's games. This weekend's game started, but they've also failed to keep a clean sheet this season. Um, so it just shows you they're a bit of a they're a bit of a nut house in terms of what what we could expect, like you say, Don. Um, I mean, yeah, there are seven plates with five wins, one draw, and three losses. Um, they've lost Solly March, which Deserby looks really angry about. Um, I mean, Solly March has been huge for them actually. Um, but I, I don't know if that's going to be because it feels like in terms of players we need to watch out for. You have got your classic Matoma. Fatty seems to be doing very well. Um, just yeah, I, I I don't 
I want to think that we can maybe go there and do the same thing we did last season because that was an amazing, amazing shithouse performance and amazing away day. But I feel like there might be, uh, I don't know, they'll want to put some put some wrongs to right with that. I don't know. I think the thing with Brighton is they are, as as you might have expected, a club of their size. This is not being disrespectful because we were we were in this stage in two thousand nine ten, but they are feeling the effects of European football because, and you know, and losing their players in the press because they haven't, as you say, they've had their big moments, but they have, they've been a bit inconsistent. They are a team that they can be got at, and they are playing. They're playing Ajax on Thursday, which I know I don't want to speak for Brighton, but again, as an outsider, is probably barring the FA Cup final in the. 70s or 80s, I can't remember. It's probably, well, at least recent history, is the biggest game in their history. So right. what is the emotion going to be like for that? Again, what's the fan going to be like? If Ajax, who are you know doing terribly in the Dutch league, what if they turn up and absolutely smash them? What's the morale going to be? I gen- I genuinely think this, is, this might sound a bit simple, but I think we're going to learn a lot about what we can do against Brighton depending what happens on Thursday night. Because if they go if they go out and they absolutely again, biggest game in the history, then then they beat and they beat Ajax three 0 say, which can happen because Ajax are not doing well at the moment. Yeah, they're seventeen. Then the, the again moment, yeah. exactly the morale and everything, the boost and the you know the crowd's gonna be happy and everything. And then have the quick turnaround to come and play us, then you know, then we could we could be on the end of you know of a smashing like they did. Um, like they did against Newcastle, who are one of the best, better teams in the league this mm-hmm. season. So I don't want to say I don't want to use this as like a cop out or anything like that. But I genuinely think we're going to tell a lot about what is capable when, when after they played on Thursday and sort of what mood they're going to be in. Yeah, I, I just want to quick do a quick update to the listeners of my um, my stats about their goal scoring after this weekend. Now Newcastle United are the highest scoring team with twenty four goals. Aston Villa now twenty three, but Brighton are third with twenty two goals they've scored. So yeah, they, I mean that's still really oddly impressive. Um, Don, just y- your thoughts on this game. I feel like you know it, it could it's very open, could score, we could concede. Like I feel like it, it, I I actually cannot call it at all. Baldwin brings up some really good points. Um, Brighton, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they've become like the model uh, of a club that a lot of Fulham players or fans would like to see where they get players real quick, develop them and yeah. sell it's them. Li- you know? It's literally them so, and, and, the, and the bus stop are seen as the models for smaller teams. Yeah, Bridge, so exactly. as far as a club is for finding players, selling players, you know, sustaining themselves, they, they've seemed to have come up with the right model. I think what we're seeing, though, is because of the way they turn over, they get inconsistent, you know, from one yeah. season to the next. With, with and the especially with European football. Over and stuff. You know, that's, the, yeah. And with the European football, again, you're right. Ajax is not, uh, they've not been doing well. If they do show up, though, and it's a decent game, it begs to differ what kind of rotation we would see on Sunday. And I think that is something that is going to be key for Fulham. Because if we're playing against Brighton and we do well, I'm going to feel really good about the games between now and For December. Sure. Because we've got some teams in there that aren't that far down the table from them. You know, like we got West Ham, we got Spam coming up. That's a team that I would hope we would be really competitive mm-hmm. against still uh, and, and get a good result against. Um, we've got Wolves. That's another one, you know, that. I really want to get a good result against because then you're going to have Newcastle coming up and all those other teams, you know, again, that yep. I hate to say it's a one-off. We're not going to get the points, yep. but it becomes a, a kind of not essential. It's not like going to kill our season, 
but to me it'll be like a kind of a a, a talesman of how the rest of this season could go if we don't have a good I mean we're going a little bit off topic now but most of our December seems actually quite <laughs> so you've got Liverpool and um, and uh, Newcastle and Arsenal which seem hard but you've also got Bournemouth Burnley and West Ham like you say I think we could probably give them a good game and Nottingham Forest so it's basically we just need to ride out the rest of November because you've got Man United Aston Villa but there is Wolves like you say and that might be that might be okay when, when does the uh, window the open? Of, the first do, of January. Do you guys know? Yeah. It is the first of January. Okay, so let's say this way I look at it, though. Let's say, or I guess let's pray Fulham are on top of it. And at the very beginning of January, they've got a player all lined up and is ready to yeah. come in, okay? That's probably not going to happen no, it'll for be Fulham. Late. It'll be probably more like later on towards the end of the damn window. So my problem is, if you look, start looking at even into the beginning of January, well, you've got Arsenal, Chelsea, you've got Newcastle, you know, Liverpool. Um, there's a lot of games in there that you know would be really questionable with us at our current strike. Absolutely, rate, you know. Absolutely. So it's funny you mentioned. We need. Yeah, something you mentioned strike. I mean, in terms of their strikers and you know what we might see after their Ajax game, I. I Personally, fear either João Pedro or Evan Ferguson for that. I think they're both brilliant. Yeah. Well, it's the midfield guy that I think has done really well for them. Uh, Baldwin, help me out here. He's uh, Asian, Mitoma, uh, Japanese, yeah. isn't he? Um, that guy seems like he's on fire. He he seems to be oh, he's brilliant. Most of their opportunities. He's just signed, uh, he's and just, I mean, he's, he's, so. I think he's signed a new contract for them. So yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, to keep an eye I mean, he'll he'll on, so. he'll go into very big things. He's fantastic for them. But yeah, he was he was a menace for us in the last game. He'll be a menace for us in this one. As yeah, well. I don't think they'll hold on to him. After no, this I don't season. think so. He, he, he'll be their next. Full of <laughs> no, he'll but he'll be their next. Uh, you know, they'll sell him for about 120 million, like they usually do with most of their players at the moment. Um, but look, I mean, I don't really want to do a score prediction for this because I don't want to, like you said, I'm paranoid. I don't want to jinx the really good away day we had last year. So I think, but we can definitely say it'll be interesting. I think I can safely say I think both of us, both teams will score, but I think it it might just fall in favour of Brian. But I don't want to give exact score prediction. Don, is there anything else you might have noticed from this game? So the only other thing, uh, when I was just kind of looking around on uh, things about the, the the upcoming game, is the referee. You know, this, this, this I thought was interesting. Um, so the referee they've got for this game, it's it's Michael Salisbury. And when you Google Michael Salisbury, the very first thing that comes up for him is he had a big controversy last April with Spuds oh, right. Brighton, in which he, he should have given a penalty, supposedly, and he apologized that he didn't give it to Brighton. And so Brighton ended up losing that game. So it makes you wonder, why is a referee that had such a controversy, got suspended, going to be refing again against a team that he's already had controversy with? It just, to me, it, it, it puts too many ifs into the we, game. Is so you think be, he owes oh, Brighton a favor, a, essentially? Is that, is that... that, that I, 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 as penance, I need to maybe give them something, you know, or, yeah, that he owes them so a favor. So would it be like if... It ends up so costing us So would it be like instead. if Brighton were terrified that Chris Kavanagh was um, was refereeing our reverse fixture at the Craven Cottage? They'd be swearing. Yeah, yes, that. exactly. I, I bet st- Chris Kavanagh still exactly. wouldn't give us anything the bastard, but still his fault. And, you know, w- when you're talking about refs, did, did you guys notice last weekend, not to get completely off oh, subject, on subject, this could be one of the controversies. This could be one of the controversies, you know, that I could see pop up with, with him as a referee. 
the amount of stinking handballs that were given this last weekend that led to penalties and goals yeah. and stuff, uh, where a lot of it, I was like, the, God bless the guy's got his arm barely out from his side or different things, and they still were giving things calls away uh, you know arsenal yeah. had a bad one there's like two or three games where they i'm terrified all the time now don of, of, a, of a handball especially because we're a club like fulham i i you know last night when uh calvin bassey did that block that diving block and there was you know question of it being a handball i was just convinced it was going to be given not because i actually believed it was just because of just how shit the whole situation is now with handball rule it's just it makes no sense to me um so yeah i'm always scared of it's, something like that for fulham to me it's kind of gotten out of over, gone over the top and out of the uh, uh, uh out of control there but there's a lot of rules like different things that i think you know or make no yeah. sense but yeah let's just hope that uh, the referee doesn't become a big part of this game you know uh and another controversy develops because exactly. of it, you know so well, on that, then, I think it's a good time to wrap up, lads. Hopefully, we won't see any referee controversies. Hopefully, we will see some goals, and hopefully, it will actually fall to Fulham. I didn't mean to be negative back then when I thought it might fall in favour of Brian. It just, I, I always fear revenge after how much we pissed them off last season. It was beautiful. Hopefully, we can do it again, and our boys will be eating fish and chips afterwards and having a very good time. Uh, so, up the Fulham, and hopefully, that will that will be that. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for joining me, Don Love. Thank you very much for joining me, Matthew Baldwin, and we'll be back with a reaction to this game and a preview for Manchester United next week and I believe that will be with Boney might be with me it might not even happen I don't know but I'm pretty sure it'll, something will be on its way thank you very much and thank you for all who listen to Full and Focus we appreciate all your support if you like what we're here please tell your friends about us and like as usual we're on all social media outlets and stay safe and see you soon Fulham